Hello and welcome to Rooted Together podcast, the podcast which aims to root you in Christ through His Word. Together, I'm your host, Charles Hegwood, and today we're continuing in John chapter 6, The Bread of Life, part 2. So we're going to pick up where we left off in verse 35 through the end of the chapter, but before we begin, I want to ask a simple question. What comes to mind when you think of the word bread? I think of Wonder Bread, personally, in the with the little uh, green and blue and yellow circles on it, and it's white and fluffy and not very filling, but it's really good with the sandwich, and sometimes will break apart if you put too much mayonnaise on the sandwich. That's what I think about when I think about bread. But what you have to understand is when you're reading in John, and when Jesus says that I am the bread of life, he is not talking about wonder bread. He's not talking about artisan bread either. The Jews had a kind of bread that they would take with them when they would go through walks in the wilderness, or if they had to go from one city to the next. And this bread was very hearty, and it was very life-sustaining. In fact, bread was often looked at as a life-sustaining source of food and a staple food back in the first century. And so when we read Jesus saying, I am the bread of life, he's not saying I am the wonder bread of life that you can... throw a bunch of stuff on, and it might somewhat fill you up. He's saying, I am the life-sustaining bread that you must have or you will perish. And so that's an important thing to keep in mind as we read this passage, because otherwise you just don't get the full impact of what Jesus is saying right here to these people and to why it is so impactful to them and why it is so contentious for them. So before we jump into the text, again, I want to give us our key words, which have been pretty consistent throughout the whole book of John, which is eternal life. Here we're going to have bread of life repeated, and then believe in me, or the word believe, which is going to be repeated many, many, many times throughout the rest of this chapter. It's already been said multiple times in the first part of this chapter. So we jump into verse 35, and he says, I am the bread of life, Jesus told them. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry, and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. And again, verse 35 should remind us of the woman at the well where he says, the one who drinks of the water I give him will never be thirsty again. Now he's saying it with bread. The one who eats the bread that I give him will never be hungry again. The one who believes in me will never be thirsty again. Because he's saying, I am the bread of life, the life-sustaining bread that you must have or you will perish. And that is what he's telling them. So I want you to get those imagery or get that imagery in your head as you read even the first verse here in verse 35. So verse 36, we continue. But as I told you, you've seen me, and yet you do not believe. Now, why does he say that in verse 36? He's, you know, you've seen me. Well, they were following him in the first place because they saw Jesus do wonders and miracles, and then they saw him feed them with five loaves of bread and two fish, so much so that they were full, and there were 12 baskets of leftover bread, which we, uh, which I remarked, there weren't even 12 baskets to start with, but then they have 12 baskets of leftovers. And they, they've seen him do things. He's saying, you have seen me. You've seen me work. You've seen these signs, and that's drawn you to me, and yet you don't believe. And he says in verse 37, everyone the Father gives me will come to me, 
and the one who comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose none of those he has given me, but I should raise them on the last day. So that's talking about a future day that has not yet happened. That would be the resurrection of the dead, the day that... In both, and John captures this in Revelation as well, and Paul captures this in several of his letters, that there will be a day where we will be physically resurrected, reunited, those who have perished before will be reunited with new bodies, and we will live forever in body with Jesus in New Jerusalem on New Earth. And John would talk about that more in Revelation. But he does mention it here. I think that's important to point out. So verse 40, as we continue, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in Him will have eternal life. So there's our key phrase there. The one who believes in the Son will have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So what does eternal life look like? It does not look like floating around in spiritual form on clouds for all eternity. I think some people, that's their view of heaven. Well, we'll float around on clouds playing harps as spirits, and we don't have feet, and we just kind of float. But that is not the biblical picture. The biblical picture is the one who believes in Christ will have eternal life, and that life will be life. It will be life in body. It will be life walking on a physical earth, but a recreated earth, that God will remake the earth, and he calls it new earth, and, and new Jerusalem, and it's there we will walk, and we will be physically in body, worshiping Christ, working the ground as it was meant to be from the beginning. And that is what he's talking about when he's talking about raising them up on the last day. That's what he's talking about when he says they will have eternal life. It's true life. It's life as we know it now, but better. It's physical life like now, but even better. It's perfected physical life. It is bodies that won't break down, bodies that won't grow tired, and work that is not futile, and worship that is completely unobstructed. That is the eternal life that he is referring to. So verse 41, how do they react to this? Well, therefore the Jews started complaining about him because he said, I am the bread of life that came down from heaven. So that's what they focus on. Not They don't focus on the one who believes in me will have eternal life. They don't focus on the fact that he has promised twice in these short verses that he will raise up those who believe in him on the last day. And they would relatively catch that reference. Most of them knew that, knew at least what he was talking about in principle, and they start complaining because he said he's the bread of life that came down from heaven, and they know him a little bit, and they, they were saying in verse 42, isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother that we know? How can he say that I've come down from heaven? And Jesus answered them, stop complaining among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father draws him to me, or to him and I will raise him up on the last day. It's the third time he promises that. Verse 45, It is written in the prophets that they will be taught by God. Everyone who has listened to and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except the one who was from God. He has seen the Father. And Jesus is saying, hey, that's me. I've seen the Father. I have come from the Father. The one who comes to me will be taught by me and will learn about the Father. Verse 47, truly I tell you, anyone who believes has eternal life. There it is again, repeated yet again. And in verse 48, I am the bread of life. So the one who believes in the Son has eternal life. He is the bread of life, life-sustaining 
bread that you must have or you will die. And he says, I am that bread, the one that will believe in me, will have eternal life. Your ancestors, verse 49, ate manna in the wilderness, and they died. So if you recall back, they're in the wilderness, walking around, they're complaining, they're hungry. God gives them manna, which they don't work for. They just wake up in the morning, and there it is. It was some form of bread. We don't really know exactly what it was, and probably won't until we get to heaven. But they ate it, but the the problem is they ate it, it sustained their life for a time, but eventually they got old and they died. Now Jesus is making a, a distinction here. This is not bread that sustains your life to a point and then it ends. This is bread that extends your life forever. It's a special kind of bread, and he's going to explain more about that as we read. But he says they ate the bread and they died. Verse 50, this bread that comes down from heaven so that anyone may eat of it, so not just the people of Israel, but anyone may eat of it and not die. And he says in verse 51, I am the living bread. So now he's not just simply saying, I'm the bread of life. He's going to change how he says it. He says, I am the living bread that comes down from heaven. I am that bread that if you eat of it, you will not die, unlike your ancestors who ate a manna and they did die. He says, if anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. The bread that I will give for life of this world is my flesh. So what is this bread? It's his flesh. Now, what is he referring to? Things are about to get a little weird as he continues to teach them, but let me just give you a heads up. When he's talking about the bread that I give you for life of the, of the world is my flesh, he's talking about the crucifixion. He's in the shadow of the cross, and he's going to be lifted up and his body broken. He's saying that is like the, bed, the bread that is broken. So think of communion. You break the bread, and Jesus is saying that bread that is broken gives life to the world. Jesus' death on the cross gives life to the world, to sinners who believe. Verse 52, at that the Jews argued among themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? They take him very literally. And so what you're about to read in verse 53 and following often can sound really weird to our ears, and this is where I will go ahead and point out that we take the Bible literally where it is meant to be taken literally and figuratively where it is meant to be taken figuratively. So I know you'll hear people go, well, I read the Bible literally. Well, yes, that's true, but we literally read it literally when it literally means to be literal. That's kind of a funny bumper sticker way to say it. But what I mean is, in this sense, Jesus is not about to tell us to become cannibals eating himself. That's not what's happening, and I know if, if you've come from a Catholic background, you have images of communion where you believe that as you put the bread in your mouth, it becomes the physical body of Christ, and as you drink the wine, it becomes the physical blood of Christ in some mysterious spiritual way. That is not what Jesus is talking about here. It just is not, and I just would encourage you to read this again and pray through it and read other passages as well, uh, but this is not what Jesus is setting up. He's not setting up a, a religion of cannibalism at all. I know atheists like to point out this verse, and they, they love to go, oh, see, if you take it literally, he, he's asking you to become cannibals. Well, again, Jesus is not literally telling us to eat his flesh, but he's saying flesh symbolically broken, blood, well, blood, body literally broken on the cross, blood literally spilt on the cross, and that through believing in that and through partaking of a meal that remembers that, we are offered eternal life through his body and his blood spilt. That's what buys our redemption. 
So verse 53, let's jump into the kind of the weirdness here. And Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you do not have life in yourselves. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him. That would be the fourth time he says that on the last day. Because my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink, and the one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. Just as the living Father has sent me, I will live because of the Father, so that the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. It is not like the manna that your ancestors ate and they died. The one who eats this bread will live forever. No, just again. He's not literally inviting the crowd to just mob him and eat him and and kill him and drink his blood. That's not what's happening. This is a symbolic saying, the one who eats my flesh is the one who believes in the son's flesh being broken for our sins, the blood that is spilt covering our sin. This is all symbolism. And he's being very, you know, it's, it's a graphic imagery. It's hyperbole as he's teaching this. It's to give a very visual, odd teaching because you will remember this. Once you read this, you are like, I really can't forget that. That's a very odd way to say it, but it sticks in their minds. He's like, he's saying, this is different than what you've seen before. I, I am the bread. I'm not simply giving you the bread. I am the sacrifice that will be broken, the blood that will be spilt. And all the sacrifices of the Old Testament, all the sacrifices these guys have been giving in the temple have been shadows and allusions to allusions to Jesus being crucified on the cross, broken and spilt as the sacrifice, the Lamb of God for the sins of the world. And those who believe in him, and through belief you essentially eat the bread through believing, you will live forever. Verse 59, and he said these things while teaching at the synagogue in Capernaum, therefore, Verse 60, when many of his disciples, I, mean, I told you in chapter, or the part one of this chapter in the last episode, there were two groups of disciples. Here, here they are. So there's the outer group. Therefore, when many of his disciples heard this, they said, this teaching is hard. Who can accept it? Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were complaining, now these are just the big crowd around him, disciples, and he asked them, does this offend you? Then what if you were to observe the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? That would be heaven. He's talking about the ascension here. And the Spirit is the one who gives life. So the Holy Spirit is the one who gives life. The flesh doesn't help at all. Your, your physical being doesn't help. What you put in your body doesn't help. That won't give you eternal life. Only the Spirit will. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life, which means you have to have those to believe, and you have to have those to have eternal life. But there are some among you who do not believe, for Jesus knew from the beginning those who do, did not believe and those who would betray him. The one who would betray him, he's referring to Judas there, but he knows that as he has this big crowd following him around in multiple locations, he, he knows and he understands who really believes, and he's just had a pretty hard conversation with a lot of them because it's clear they don't believe because they're asking for more signs even after seeing all the signs he's already performed. And in verse 66, From that moment, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. So Jesus says to the twelve, so again, the bigger crowd now goes away and only the twelve remain. So a lot of people, Jesus just went from really popular to he's got twelve followers again. And he turns to his twelve followers and says, you don't want to go away too, do you? And Simon Peter says, Lord, 
to whom will we go? Now, Peter has a place to go. Peter has people to go back to. He had a business. He left a business to follow Jesus. He left his family to follow Jesus. And he's saying, whom, whom will we go to? Well, they have people to go to. That's, that's the thing you have to understand. He doesn't mean that of, well, we got nothing better to do with our lives, so we're following you around. They had businesses. Matthew was a tax collector. Many of them left fi- profitable fishing businesses, family businesses, and they left them to follow Jesus. And th- that's highlighted throughout other Gospels. So when Peter says this, you would have to stop and go, well, you do have people to go back to, Peter. But what is Peter saying? He understands, even on a broken level, and he understands, even on an incomplete level, that Jesus is all. That there, compared to knowing Christ, and compared to following Christ, we have no one. And, and we must take that into the 21st century, and we must hear that, and we must say, if we follow Jesus, we have no one else to fall back on, because He is all in all. We, that we could say to our Lord and our Savior, our King, our Commander, Lord, to whom will we go back to? We are following you to the ends of the earth, and Peter will do that. And he says, Peter continues, you have the words of eternal life. To whom will we go who have the words of eternal life? Eternal life is found in no one else than Jesus. So when we look at our Christian lives and we say, what will we do to follow Jesus? Sometimes that will mean leaving home. It will mean leaving family to follow Christ, because when we look at Jesus, he is so much more than this world has to offer. He is so other. He is so more important, so higher, that when we look at him, we would say, Lord, to whom will we go? Because it's only you who have the words of eternal life, and there's a world that needs to hear it, and we go. I think of the rich young ruler when when Peter says, we've left everything to follow you, Jesus, and he says, yes, you have, Peter, and I'll give it all back a hundredfold in this life and the next, because he's saying, you will gain back brothers, sisters, mothers, fathers. What he's saying is the spiritual family you will gain back, so you leave it all behind to gain so much more, because it's all about Christ. And Peter, even on an incomplete level, gets that here, and he says, Lord, to whom will we go? It is you who have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. And again, he doesn't fully grasp all that he's saying, but he understands in part, Jesus, you're special. You really do have the words of life in you, and belief in you. We have eternal life. Therefore, we will have, it's almost like we have nothing else to go back to, even though they do. They had comfortable lives to go back to. And he says, I'm willing to part that and say it's nothing to me because you are all. You're the Holy One of God. There's nothing higher. And so Jesus replied to them and said, Didn't I choose you, the twelve? Yet one of you is a devil. He was referring to Judas, Simon Iscariot's son, one of the twelve, because he was going to betray him. So even as Peter says this, and even as the other eleven who were standing there would probably be like, Yeah, that's right, Peter. Yeah, and would agree with Peter. There was one who was saying that. There was one who was joining Peter and saying, Yeah, to whom will we go? And yet they know, even now, that they will betray Jesus and they will turn from him. And he says, One of you is a devil. Those who fall away from following Christ. That's what it looks like. It's an ultimate betrayal. So we must say in our lives to the one who says and claims to be the bread of life, to whom will we go? Only you.
Only you have the words of life. Only you do we believe in. And only you are the Holy One of God. Who will you follow? Will you be the Will you be the bigger crowd, or will you be the Judas? So I mean, there, again, there's I guess there's three groups here. Will you be the bigger crowd that when things get hard, the teaching gets tough, when Jesus begins to count the cost and it's just too much for us to bear? I don't like the cost that He's asking me to bear. Do we turn around and do we leave? I don't like that. This teaching is hard. Jesus is asking too much of me, and we leave. Or are we like Peter and the others who say? You're so much more than this world. We have nothing else but to go with you, because you're the only ones that have the. You're the only one that has the eternal, the word of life, the eternal word, and we follow you to the ends of the earth. Or are we like the Judas who are on the curtail, coattails of the twelve who are saying, "Whom, whom will we go to? You have the words of eternal life, knowing full and well we don't truly believe, and we're about to betray our master and our commander." In, in Jesus' words, yet one of you is a devil. And it's interesting, too, that even as he says this, Jesus, that is, he understands as he's looking at the twelve, and he knows that one of them, and he's chosen them, right? He chose the twelve. He said, I did not choose you, all of you, all twelve of you. I chose you personally. And yet he chose one person that he knew from the moment he chose him, they would, that person would betray him. And yet he offers him a chance to hear the words of life, if you've heard the words of life today, don't be Judas, don't betray, don't fall away. Believe, believe, and have eternal life. I'd like to thank you for joining me in Rooted Together, and I look forward to joining you later this week in John chapter 7. I'll see you there.